0: Hey, it's Ron. This episode was recorded before I launched Politicology, when I hosted the Lincoln Project podcast on this feed. If you have questions, comments, or advice, you can reach us at podcast at or find us online at politicology.com. Enjoy. Hello from the Lincoln Project and welcome back. I'm Ron Steslow. On Thursday, the United States Supreme Court issued two opinions that will have a major impact on presidential powers for years to come. And since we've been watching these two cases, I wanted to bring in Lincoln Project co-founder and attorney George Conway to join me to break down the Supreme Court's decisions on these cases and what they mean going forward. I want to start with this case, Trump versus Vance, George. Uh, This was the case where Donald Trump was suing the district attorney of the county of New York, so Manhattan, so that Trump's accountants wouldn't need to turn over financial documents related to investigations into the Trump corporation and the hush money payments that Trump made to Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal through his former attorney, Michael Cohen. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. What happened was there were a series of newspaper articles uh, about whether or not the Trump organization over a course of many years was engaging in, in, in essentially tax fraud. Uh, the investigation that's going on in the district by the district attorney of New York County and the grand jury in New York County involves that and also the hush money payments to Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougall. And whether or not those were accounted for properly by the Trump corporation. When the subpoenas were issued to Mazars, the accounting firm that, that Trump uses for his company and for himself personally, mm-hmm. Trump sued. And he basically argued that: hey, because I'm president, you can't do this. You can't investigate me. You can't that you can't indict me. So why should you be able to subpoena me or subpoena even my accountants? And The court rejected that argument seven to two. You can argue it really was nine to nothing. Mm. And it really wasn't that hard a decision. The Supreme Court relied most heavily on extensive constitutional history and going back all the way to uh, the Aaron Burr treason trial where President Jefferson was uh, subpoenaed and held that. Well, the president is, has to give evidence just like everyone else. And the court also relied upon Jones v. Clinton, the Paula Jones case, where Bill Clinton said, oh, well, I can't be sued while I'm in office because, hey, I'm president. I'm busy.
0: So how does that square with Trump's defense in this case? Because they argued, they argued that the subpoena would cause the president an undue burden uh, and that as president, he doesn't have the time to respond to the subpoena.
1: Well, the Supreme Court today rejected those arguments precisely for the same reason it rejected President Clinton's arguments in the Jones case. And in fact, it cites the Jones case repeatedly. Um, the fact that a president is sued doesn't necessarily mean that he's impaired in the duties of his office. Now, there may be special accommodations that you have to make if the president is sued in a lawsuit. And that's what the Supreme Court said in the Paula Jones case. Well, you may have to make some accommodations to meet his schedule. You may have to take, for example, his deposition by videotape, which is actually what ended up happening mm-hmm. in the Paula Jones case. Um, but on, you know, as a as a theoretical matter, just without some serious showing of harm to the presidency, there is no immunity from being sued. and the Supreme Court basically took that exact same reasoning and relied upon it today in the Vance case. And um, I'm a bit familiar with those arguments because I wrote the the brief in the Paula Jones case, and I remember thinking from the very outset, well, these very same arguments, which the Supreme Court accepted from my brief in the Paula Jones case, just control here. And I wrote a piece in the in the Washington Post, saying that basically the court is just going to hold. No person is above the law, and in fact, that's what the court held. And Justice Kavanaugh's concurring opinion recites that very maxim: "No one is above the law," mm-hmm. even Donald Trump. And as a result, um, Trump lost. And in fact, he didn't just lose. I mean, the the it's going to go down in the newspapers as a seven to two decision. But on the fundamental point of whether or not. He the president has an absolute immunity from giving evidence to a state grand jury. The court was essentially 9 nothing. The dissents were really not dissents, at least in that regard, at all. Uh, Ju- Ju- Chief Justice Roberts, in his majority opinion for the court, mm-hmm. uses scare quotes to describe <laughs> Justice Thomas's <laughs> dissent, saying, you know, we really don't ag- disagree on that much because we don't say that in some Proper circumstance where a president is saying that, oh, this grand jury to subpoena is so burdensome. For example, it actually requires me to testify when I have to go to a G7 summit, something like that. Or you're asking me to produce everything everything I own mm. uh, as evidence, uh, every every piece of piece of paper I own, and I physically have to gather them myself. Some showing, if if there were some showing that it were that burdensome or a showing that these subpoenas were being issued for her purposes of harassment and to undermine the president in carrying out its duties. Well, the court said, well, yeah, that would be a different case. And we're not saying that in that different case, a federal court couldn't provide some relief. And the dissent, you know, to the extent there was there were two dissents. There was Justice Thomas's dissent and Justice Alito's dissent. It really was just a a question of of emphasis and how much How much does a president really have to show to get that kind of relief, and whether it might be possible on a remand to do that here? Uh, The fact of the matter is, there's not much to say anymore about this case because Trump never really made a burden argument, a specific burden argument about these subpoenas. He simply argued that, generally speaking, subpoenas are burdensome, so there should be an absolute rule. He didn't say, oh, I'm going to have to interrupt my uh, viewing of Fox and Friends every morning to work on this. Uh, So (laughs) there's really, you know, even though the court did remand and send it back to the lower courts, there's really not much now that's going to prevent uh, District Attorney Vance from getting these records. So to be clear, correct me if I'm
0: wrong, but the president's defense was essentially that this would be too much work for him or would cause a distraction from his duties as president. There, are, there that- would
1: be, it would, there would be a, a distraction. And there were also a couple of other arguments that he made that, oh, it would stigmatize the president to be um, subpoenaed in, a, in 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 a, before a grand jury.
0: Meaning and it would make
1: him look bad. It made him look bad. And, and the court really gave short shrift to that. And it pointed to the fact that grand juries are inherently secret proceedings and there's those secret, the secrecy that's inherent in grand jury proceedings is designed to protect reputation so that people who are ultimately not charged, you know, aren't assumed to have done something wrong simply by being investigated by a grand jury or being called to testify before a grand jury. So the court really dismissed that. Uh, argument pretty pretty handily were you surprised at the dissents and who were they? Uh, the dissents were Thomas and Alito. I was not surprised by the dissents because the dissents to a large extent weren't really dissents as as justice as Chief Justice Roberts pointed out, the court was unanimous on the fundamental point which was the fundamental argument that Trump was making, which is, hey, you can't do this at all. And even Justice Alito, who I think was the most favorable to Trump in terms of being fearful that state grand jury subpoenas could be used to undermine the presidency, even he conceded that these subpoenas are not automatically barred. So, it doesn't surprise me that there was some degree of disagreement over what it might sh- what might be required for a president to show that he shouldn't have to comply with the subpoena. But the fact of the matter is I don't think those differences really matter in today's case. If you look at Justice Alito's dissent, it talks about a lot of hypo- he talks about a lot of hypotheticals that might come up someday. He's worrying about the next case and the case after that, and he he worries that the majority opinion joined by seven justices doesn't provide enough protection for these horrible cases that might come down the pike someday. And uh, to my mind, I, I understand that concern, but there's no real need to decide anything more than this case. And if those horribles those but that parade of horribles comes marching up to the Supreme Court someday and these terrible situations arise that Justice Alito posits hypothetically. Well, the court can deal with that as it as it comes. Okay.
0: So speaking specifically about this case, does it mean that Trump's tax returns now will be released?
1: Yeah. Well, they the won't be well. They, I mean, public, I think right. exactly. I mean, there's a lot of discussion. I saw on cable news talking about, oh, will the public see the yeah. returns? No, the public will not see these returns. This is a grand jury investigation, and the grand jury, well, the prosecutors will see the returns because the returns will be produced to the grand jury, and the grand jury will see the returns. Um, and that what what they do with those returns, we will not know, unless and until someday. Uh, someone gets indicted or charged uh, with something. Okay. The, these these materials will not be public simply because of the uh, of, of the grand jury uh, subpoena being enforced.
0: Okay, so if the the only way they would become public is if there was some grand jury leak, for example.
1: If there were a leak, which I think would be exceedingly unlikely, given the okay. nature of the of the of the situation, given the the kinds of documents at issue, and given the um, furor, furor that would result from the production from the public production of these materials, uh, yeah. I just don't see that happening.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, zoom out and just at a high level, can you break down what the court's ruling, how it impacts the Trump presidency going forward? Not just what happens in this investigation, but this is this is a this is quite a blow uh, at a time when the president is down in the polls everywhere, fighting what seems to be a very losing
1: battle. It really is sort of symbolic. In a sense, of the beginning of the end of Donald Trump, that's not what motivated the Supreme Court. What motivated the Supreme Court was over was over two hundred years of of history on presidents being subpoenaed for their evidence, including President Jefferson, President Clinton, President Nixon, and and others. Um, but we're in a we're in a moment where. The president's power is ebbing because presidential power isn't just the power that you, that is articulated in article two of the constitution and in Mm -hmm. the statutes that he's obligated to enforce on, under the law and under the constitution, the power presidential power is also the perception of power. And with him bleeding out in the polls, the way he has, he's become less powerful than ever. And people are becoming less fearful of him. They're going to become less fearful of telling the truth about him. They're going to become less fearful about cooperating with investigators about him. And Trump, you know, has pushed this as far as he could to try to make what was truly a bogus argument, one that should never have been made, that he somehow is immune from the kind of investigation that any one of us who operated at a business where there were serious questions of whether we were complying with the tax laws we would have to comply with. I mean, we would all have no argument that our jobs mm-hmm. prevented a state prosecutor and a grand jury from getting those materials. And what the Supreme Court today said was that President Trump's attempt to invoke his job um, mm-hmm. should should not succeed. And this is really about Trump pushing something too far because he thinks, you know, he thinks the the, the rule shouldn't apply to him. And the Supreme Court basically slapped him down and said, no, no, no. The rules have been applying for 200 years and they're going to apply to you as well. Would you
0: put this decision in the same category as the other decisions? I think most recently, I think the DACA decision where it's really just... A loss because of bad lawyering?
1: No, I, 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 I wouldn't at all. They were going to lose because they made a bad argument, an argument that should not have been made. In the DACA case, the Trump administration lost because it made a bad argument, but not because it couldn't have made a better one. Mm-hmm. So I'm making a distinction here. Trump, there was no argument that Trump had here. In the DACA case, they could have done it the right way, but. They didn't dot their eyes and cross their t's sufficiently to do what they wanted to do, and that's a big difference. And in, in, in the DACA situation, you know, the, 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 what the what the administration was essentially trying to do was trying to undo a decision from the Obama administration that essentially amended a statute without amending the statute, and that was highly problematic. Um, they just in 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 getting rid of it, in in getting rid of DACA. They just they probably maybe reached it a little bit too far, and they did it a little too quickly. Although even that's debatable. It's a, it's quite a different kind of case. All right,
0: now I want to talk about the other case that was pending that had to do with the same financial documents, which is Trump v. Mazars. And this case was about whether the Congress, in this case, the House Oversight Committee. Uh, the Committee on Financial Services, and the Intelligence Committee, could issue a subpoena to the president's accountant and creditors for the president's financial records. So to start, uh, first of all, let's set the table. How is this different from the Vance case?
1: It's a lot different because it involves, one, congressional power, and it involves a conflict between co-equal branches of government. And There have been disputes for a very long time between Congress and the president about producing information and witnesses to Congress. And there really was very little law on what the requirements are for Congress to be able to get evidence from the executive branch or from the executive. And the fact the Supreme Court pretty much never had to resolve that kind of dispute but precisely because in the realm of separation of powers you assume that there are always going to be these tensions between the branches and sometimes um, partisan warfare between the executive and the legislative branch i mean the court felt that you know separation of powers concerns have to be looked at very very closely in order to enforce a subpoena against the president, whether it be president's uh, the president's materials, it's his evidence of what he did in office, including at the White House, or his personal materials. And what they were trying to figure out here in this case was how to strike the balance. Trump basically argued that the most stringent possible standard should apply, which was the U.S. against Nixon standard, which basically says that um, in, the, in that case, the court held that the, the person seeking the evidence, which was actually a federal prosecutor, had to show a de- demonstrated specific need uh, for the materials. And there was a lower court decision also of the Nixon era that said that there had to be a demon, a demonstrably critical connection between legislative purchase a purpose and the subpoena issued and the court rejected that that was the highest possible standard without saying the subpoena can't be issued under any circumstances at all the court said no 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 that's that's too much um the standard in that in in the nixon case was appropriate for situations and it was specifically designed for situations where the president was making a particularized claim of executive privilege, and even there, in the Nixon case, the court held that the grand jury's need for materials overcame the particularized uh, uh, over, overcame the particularized claim by President Nixon that the tapes, which is what was the issue in the case, mm-hmm. uh, the Watergate tapes, the Watergate um, tapes were can were were. were immune from production because, uh, of executive privilege. Uh, but the court held that that standard in a case like this one, the Mazar's case, which had nothing to do with executive privilege because it has to do with the president's personal business, just has no business being applied here. At the same time, the house took an extreme position the other way. The house basically said, Hey, all we have to do is basically say that we're doing this for a legislative purpose and nobody gets to look at this. And the courts have to defer. We make a finding that this is, we, need, we need this stuff. Hey, that's up to us. And there's nobody to police it. And the Supreme Court didn't, couldn't stomach that either. That was a little bit too much to swallow and, and perhaps, perhaps that what might have been a mistake Made by the House in the way it presented the case to the Supreme Court, but and, and so that the court ended up having to write an opinion saying, "Well, this is these are the things that we have to have the Congress show before we can get before Congress can get information from the President." And that's what the court did. It basically said, "Here, here are some standards that we'd like to see that we direct should see be should be applied in cases involving subpoenas." directed at the president. And and again, to protect the balance of powers, to make sure that there isn't political abuse where Congress is trying to undermine the presidency through harassment. And the court basically ticked off the things that lower courts faced with such subpoenas. And it's not just going to be in cases involving the president's personal materials. This is going to be for cases involving a maybe could be a dispute about the operation of the mm-hmm. office of management and budget okay. it could be anything okay the court basically said here are the standards one is the court should make sure that it's necessary to involve the president to get the information that that congress is seeking if you can get the stuff somewhere else by calling a different witness or going to a different place for the files for the file materials then that's what you should do um second the court said that in order to minimize conflict between the legislative and pres- and executive branches, courts should insist that the subpoena is no broader than reasonably necessary to support the con- congressional legislative objective it- at issue here. And here, the issue, the, one of the objectives was yeah. to determine... You know there were various objectives of the different committees that were issued subpoenas that were at issue at Mazar's with them in the Mazars case um, that that included you know the whether the whether there needed to be um, new rules governing the enforcement of the tax laws or whether the president has been unduly influenced by foreign entanglements anyway the third consideration that the court uh, said has to be taken into account in future cases in this case and future cases is. Um, that Congress does have to show and not simply assert a, legisl- a valid legislative purpose. In other words, Here, the challenge, the debate is over. Well, do you, is is this really seriously about Congress figuring out whether it needs to write new legislation to enforce Mm -hmm. the tax laws Mm -hmm. or is it about the president finding out whether the president is a bad guy?
0: Right. Because they said that the goal is to harm Trump politically. Then even if the records inform legislation, the court should block the subpoena. So how would one go about untangling the motive or the, or the goal
1: there? again i think uh, it's that's unclear i think that's going to be for future cases what the court did say was the more detailed congress's explanation of what it was considering in terms of possible legislation the mm. better and again this rationale doesn't necessarily apply in a case where there's an actual impeachment inquiry for example was that 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 would be a different rationale the final consideration the court listed is The burden issue and how burdensome is this on the president personally, and the court didn't, you know, and the court didn't express an opinion on that. Although one might be suggested from the other case, um, but left it to the district, the district court, and the court of appeals to figure that out. And the court also said that there may be other considerations we haven't thought about that that go into whether or not uh, it's a good idea and whether it's a it's consistent with the separation of powers for. The courts to enforce a congressional subpoena against the president.
0: I see. So, so just very briefly, back to the legislative purpose question, because it, that that received a lot of buzz and a lot of people were talking about that being the turning point of the decision. Is it fair to characterize that uh, as as the court deciding that if if Congress wants this particular set of information, then uh, uh, say it's a puzzle piece, then they have to present the rest of the puzzle and show that this is, a, this is the piece that is missing for, for the objective that they're after.
1: Well, I, maybe, maybe not. It, it really is going to depend on the particular instance. I just think that they're going to have to explain it better than they, tried, than they did here. Okay. Um, it's sort of like in that sense we talked about they're just going to have yeah. to articulate it more clearly.
0: All right. So, so taking both of these cases uh, together, um, you know, the way I know everyone's been focused on the immediate implications for the, for seeing or, or investigators receiving the president's financial documents, but these, these cases also set a major precedent and will affect presidential power going forward. So how do you see them with a, with a sort of a broad view of the presidency and the future after Donald Trump?
1: Well, I think the the Vance case is very important generally for the rule of law to say that the president is not uh, immune from personal process from a prosecutor. Um, That's just, it's, it's, it's important symbolically um, as well as practically as a practical matter. I don't think there are going to be a lot of situations where state grand juries and state prosecutors are investigating the president. It just doesn't happen very often. There no, I don't think the Supreme court's opinion cited any prior instances of it happening. Um, There have been federal grand juries that have done so. Um, I, you know, it doesn't have, that's not going to have a practical, a, a significant practical effect on the presidency going forward, because it's really, This is an unusual case. The Mazar's case, on the other hand, is setting forth a standard that's going to govern for all time in situations that have arisen quite frequently, which is where Congress is trying to extract information from the president. And given this president's particular penchant, which is to basically stiff arm Congress on almost everything... Um, it's a victory for Congress, even though Congress's standard was rejected and Congress has to jump through hoops to get enforcement of subpoenas as set forth in the opinion. Congress can still come in and say, look, the Supreme Court's saying we can get this stuff Mm. and that's going to be a powerful weapon for the remainder of this administration because the administration has been taking such a hard line on subpoenas and basically saying we shouldn't be required to produce anything. So in that sense it's a good it's a big loss for Trump. Um in, in as well just as to, to, to a similar extent um maybe a different extent than the Vance case was. This yeah. this goes to basically everything that the administration has been doing with respect to stiff arming Congress and Basically, this opinion says you really can't do that anymore um, if Congress dots its I's and crosses its T's. Now, as a practical matter, this is going to affect future presidents more than this president because it's already July and he's going to be out of office, we hope, through our efforts uh, in January. So it would take take some time for... um, (laughs) These are the, the subpoenas, the effect of this decision to work its way through the courts. Yeah. And by that, by the end of, by the time it does, it's going to be President Biden's problem.
0: This episode was recorded when I hosted the Lincoln Project podcast on this feed. If you have any questions or advice, you can reach us at podcast at politicology.com. And please know that even if we don't respond, we read every email we get and we love hearing from you. If you enjoy the show, it would help us if you could rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Ron Steslow. I'll see you in the next episode.